Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Sexton trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sexton inside. A thunderous dunk. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. With just three games remaining on the schedule, the Cleveland Cavaliers are riding an 11-game losing streak. About half the team is missing. Colin Sexton got banged up in the last game. And with all that being said, I think we can be forgiven for pivoting a little bit and getting an early start on some year-end conversations. With me today to help break all that down is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Um, you know, hadn't been super fun as of late. <laughs> uh, I thought Pacers game was pretty fun, though. Um, and yeah, it's uh, we are playing it out, folks. Uh, and frankly, I am I am fully on team. It's all right if they lose out at this stage. Lottery odds are so tight. Any boost, uh, you know, I think we can save this conversation for later. But mm. I will say that. I'm at the point now where I have really kind of locked in on what it would mean for the franchise to get the first overall pick. Yeah. And how much of a fortune changer that would be. (laughs) And as such, I am in, you know, I'm bargaining for, for, you know, slivers of percentage points and perfectly content with that for the remainder of the season. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I mean, I found myself rooting for the Cavs to win uh, in that last game, like especially with Okoro playing so well. But when the re- end result comes in and it's a loss, it's not something that I've, I'm. I've, I'll tell you what, against the Pacers, I came as close as I've I have in a long time to being like, well, it's okay if we don't pull this one out. Let's maybe not. Dork, dork, big old dork. I, I mean, the Pacers game and the Suns game stand out as two games that were kind of like palate cleansers, right? Like we needed performances like that where they stayed close. Like I, I'm fine with close losses. An OT loss is fine by me. Um, but you're right. Like I, I, there's an understanding of just exactly what it would mean. And it'd be one thing if they were getting run off the court and Darius Garland, Larry Nance, and all those guys were out there. That might make me feel a little worse um, even being out of the plan, but given what's actually on the court, it's not something that's stressing me out too much at all. Um, I do want to get to some quick news uh, before we get into the rest of the podcast, which is that Lindsay Gottlieb, congratulations. She gone. She gone. She is now the head coach at USC, I I guess starting next season. I shouldn't say now Uh, that's not taking over just yet, Uh, but Obviously, this is a, a loss for the Cavs. Uh, congratulations, her. I understand it. Um, but I, I think we have a consensus here where the most promising thing with the Cavs over the last year or so has been the player development, the, the growth that the young players have uh, shown. And she played a, a massive part in that, right? Like the, the coaching <clears throat> staff, when we talked to Dave DeFore and all, all the other uh, people that know stuff, more, more stuff than we do, uh, they always give credit to Gottlieb, to the rest of the assistant coaches for th- their work in that area. So uh, obviously it, it's a loss to, to see her go. Yeah, I mean, listen, we may be on the payroll, but we're still not showing up to practice. We'll never really ever know the true effects of a coach. I think it's why we're always so hesitant to die, you know, dig in hard on coaches critically. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got to be pretty bad for us to get there. Uh, I, I, I like really... to think we I, I like to think that we have an educated audience at this point, or at least the ones that have stuck with us kind of understand our stance of drafting decisions and GM decisions are made by an entire front office. It's not one person coaching decisions, how a team is coached is a collaborative effort, right? Like it's not just JB Bickerstaff. There's a lot of parts that go into that. 
Yeah, totally. And as a result, you know, it's hard to say exactly what Lindsey Gottlieb meant to the coaching staff. So you all you got to do is kind of just look at what people had to say about her while she was here and seemed like she was very, very revered by the players as a basketball mind, as mm-hmm. a communicator. And I'm sure the team is going to miss her. So, you know, obviously it seems like she had a great opportunity to go to USC. Uh, and honestly, man, I don't know how these head coaches go at any level go become assistant coaches (laughs) i think it would drive me absolutely bonkers to have all the power and then to have to be like uh maybe we should uh do this that would drive me crazy so uh you know uh, obviously it was a great opportunity for for coach gottlieb but not surprised at all uh if if you have the chance to go you know run a program especially one like usc it's no surprise that she she took the jump yeah, and I guess now there's a position that the Cavs need to fill. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be an expert on who the assistant coaches are that are available that might work things out. But I think it's an interesting opportunity, right? Uh, especially when you're looking into next season where you want to take a next step. You you came up short of your goal of a play-in this year. Um, the, there's going to be a lot of internal de- development and growth from this team. And bringing in maybe an, an assistant that helps add a little flavor to the offense and a little more variety now that they've kind of incorporated base sets. Maybe that, that, that's something that uh, is in the team's future. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm an expert because like, look at, look at Toronto as an example. Right now, Toronto fans are absolutely sick of Nick Nurse and Nate Bjorgen. Uh, I Jeez, I'm not even going to attempt that last name. I I thought I had confidence. Nady B. Nady B. Nady B. Um, Indy, not a huge fan of him, even though uh, he was supposed to be the offensive savant. So I I think the most important thing when it comes to coaching, uh, at least the only part that I can figure out, is that um, buy-in from the team is the most important thing. And I, I think we've seen... While the personnel might not be strong this year, the players like, respect, and buy into what J.B. Bickerstaff has been selling. And I, I think maybe you can emphasize new things in, in the offseason, bring in a new voice that brings a different perspective and maybe helps unlock certain things. Um, but most of the team's issues this year, I, I think, really do come down to personnel more than anyone that, that's on the coach's bench. Yeah, well, you said, I actually like the way you said it in our chat uh, when we were talking about this episode. You said, it's an opportunity to talk about, you know, bringing an assistant that might add some seasoning to the office. And I think seasoning is the right word uh, because the Cavs offense right now is the potato salad that gets roasted at the cookout. It's a little (laughs) bland. Mm -hmm. It's not a lot of of kick, not a lot of spice. And I think that, when we are talking about a coaching staff and we're trying to figure out who's good, who's bad, what's working, what's not, sometimes you do almost have to go as simply to, does it feel right? Does it look like there's enough pep in the step? Is there enough juice? Mm -hmm. And I think even with all the excuses that, uh, and, and context that you can kind of bring around JB and the way this roster and the season is shaped up, all the changeover, all the injuries, et cetera, I still think you could say there's a little bit. It's still a little bland. Yeah. Um, on the offensive end, the, the team tends to run one set. Uh, and when that gets snuffed out, they just go to a high pick and roll and hope something good happens. Mm-hmm. So I think that should be a priority for this team moving forward. It, there is a bit of a chicken and the egg thing there yeah. where maybe it's bland because the players don't have, they don't have a ton of great decision makers that make the right reads. Maybe players aren't executing well because they're playing out of position, et cetera. It's, it's hard to know, but I do think some spice is well warranted because even like we've seen the offensive rating get good enough. You know, they've gotten to the point where they're around like 110, 111 with love back on the floor. Yeah. But it just doesn't have that like the only time it really gets electric is when Darius gets cooking and his playmaking yeah. juices start going. Like that's the only time it feels like, whoa, they're gonna outscore a team. Um, even when uh the the fundamentals are working. That's the only time it really feels that way. So anything that gets them up that mountain of like because I think they have all the pieces on offense to have an offense that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And they just need a little more juice. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I 
I think at the same time as well, like one of our biggest complaints last season, uh, both offensively and defensively, was there they weren't going with basics, right? Like defensively, they were always trying to do something else. We didn't know what kind of the base core defense was. And the consistent complaint that we had last year was we have all these pick and roll ball handlers and we're a team that doesn't run pick and roll. Like, I I think there was an emphasis to try to look smart and creative and whatnot. But now that you kind of do have a base offense in place where uh, you have some kind of staples that you can go to with the high pick and roll, you've seen uh, Garland and Allen develop chemistry there. You can start to build off of that. And that's something that you have to think of not only from a coaching standpoint on what sets you're going to run, but also from a personnel standpoint, when you're going into the offseason, figuring out who you want to bring in, who you might ship out, uh, what role everyone's going to have, who you're drafting. Like all of that has to be kind of in your thought of what this what the identity of this team is going to be. And I just think that it's an interesting opportunity because we we have a draft full of playmakers. Uh, you have an open co- uh, coaching position now. Um, you you have like there, there's just so many things that are up in the air in so many different directions that this team can go. And and that's something that I find really interesting. Um, but while we're on the subject of playmakers, Isaac Okoro. <laughs> we we I, I find it so funny that about a week removed from when we were talking about, oh, what would we like to see over these last few games? And I suggested uh, maybe some Okoro pick and roll, maybe, maybe have him handle the ball. And you talked me out of it real quickly. Um, that might have been a mistake from both of us because Isaac Okoro wow. is playing out of his damn mind right now. And he's doing it being a ball handler. Well, circumstance certainly forced uh, the Cavs hand here and. Yeah, I mean, Okoro's doing a really nice job. I, I, the efficiency isn't always great. Um, there's still plays where, I mean, hit, like I feel like when it goes bad for him, it goes so bad. <laughs> I think there was a layup where Sabonis just like, like it was like a the kind of layup you have when you're playing against your big brother and he hit puberty, but you haven't yet. Like you're eight and he's 13. Like those, that was like how bad he got his, his layup packed against Sabonis. Mm-hmm. But Again, between the, the the really really ugly finishes are these really crafty, um, you know, intelligent attacks driven by footwork, driven by getting his body into team into the end of the opposition. A little bit of nascent playmaking. I don't know if he's a good passer yet, but he's a solid one. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's been really really fun to kind of see him get unlocked on that end of the floor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sixteen and a half points a game, almost three assists, forty four thirty nine shooting. Uh, the number of three-point attempts, I, I think, is really encouraging. Uh, he, he's, he shows a willingness to shoot, right? Like, that was something that, uh, at least when we were coming into this draw, draft process and people were comparing him to someone like Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, who attempted maybe three total threes over his first three seasons, um, was clearly not that kind of a guy. And I don't think it's necessarily surprising to see a young player do better with the ball in their hands. I, I think developing off-ball skills in the NBA takes time. And you, you look at the Auburn film, he had the ball in his hands more. So it makes sense with Garland out that he'd be a, a little more comfortable. Um, but it is kind of interesting as well when you're looking at the future outlook of this team. Because if unlocking Isaac Okoro, if the key to that is getting the ball in his hands, what does that mean for how you deploy Sexton, Garland, and whoever you draft? Uh, because un- unless it's Evan Mobley, you're probably drafting another ball handler this year. Yeah, and I I think we're getting to the point where we're moving in the same direction on this. I think some folks were ahead of us on this particular topic, and I think he might be a two, man. Mm -hmm. Well, Uh, I I thought he was a three, uh, a pure, you know, a pure three that could, you know, guard some twos. But when on the offensive end of the ball, I think specifically in in kind of his breakout game against Phoenix, that's where I saw it, where when they had smaller guards switched on to him, like even Javon Carter, who was a very, very stout defender and very pesky defender at the point of attack, he just was too strong for him. Yeah. And given the fact that Okoro, I really don't think he's ever going to be an above-the-rim kind of player. Mm-hmm. I just don't think his body is built that way. Jackson Frank, who we had on the pod very recently... I think put it really, really well in his feature on Okora, where he kind of mentioned that he he kind of looked not inflexible. He looks a little inflexible sometimes, like his body is very tightly packed 
um and those guys don't typically you know you you think of like let, let's think about an above the rim finisher like a zach levine uh who can who can really who kind of accelerates up and, and kind of stretches uh towards towards the basket on his attacks so okoro is kind of a bowling ball on the mm-hmm. way in there so you know given that he's gonna be a below the rim finisher being able to attack these smaller guards and use his body as a weapon um and have his defender not have the requisite length to bother the finish it just is starting to click into place for me not to mention again he's got good wingspan but not an elite wingspan the length against guards just feels much more impactful on the other end of the ball What, what are your thoughts yeah, I I think the the points he hit on are are valid. Like I I think looking at him now, I don't think he's a guard, but I think he's more of a two three wing versus a three two wing, right? Like I, I think his offensive skill set is more suited to the shooting guard position. Which I mean, it, it's interesting. Like th- this could all obviously change as he grows and fills out. Uh, maybe maybe he gets a little taller. Fingers crossed. I, I want to bring back height watch this this off season, but we need to see some evidence first. I, I need. We're gonna few... will, we're gonna will six six into the universe. Oh that. no, I'm willing six seven in here, baby. Uh, you're you're an animal. We're we're getting a two inch growth spurt here. I'm I'm speaking it into existence. But I mean, as as he continues to physically develop and as his skills develop, maybe he does get to the point where he has that same ability to bully his way past um, guys that, that play the three, right? Like you're just dealing with more length in general. And I, I think seeing him play the two is giving you that glimpse of, okay, now he, he has an advantage against guys. It's something that the Cavs haven't really had at that position. I, I do think as well, it's interesting because as we look for next year, assuming they're drafting a wing, one of these guys is probably going to have to come off the bench, whether it's Garland, Sexton, Okoro, or whoever they pick. One of those four is likely going to have to come off the bench, and the bench needs playmaking. It needs guys that can handle the ball. I wouldn't pass on adding a backup point guard uh, just because Isaac Okoro can do a few things in the pick and roll and whatnot, but Having uh, him... I'll take it a step further. If they pass on a backup point guard because of this stretch from Okoro, then we got some major problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, th- I think that's fair. But I'm just saying that with the second unit, having Okoro, whether you're staggering him where he, he subs out early and he can uh, kind of add to the, the playmaking in the second unit and give them another guy that can handle the ball, kind of fulfilling some of those Andre Iguodala draft comparisons that he had. Um, I, I think that's a positive. That's an interesting wrinkle. But at the same time, you you, you never know how this is going to play out, right? Like what yeah. com- what combination of young players is going to work best? I, in, I, in, invariably, this is going to become the Colin Sexton discussion. So I I do want to say we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna save the 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 big we're gonna we're gonna rehit the contract uh, discussion because it feels like it's bubbling back up. We're gonna hit that next uh, on the next pod. Yeah, but like to the point of you know the the playmaking uh, and kind of Okoro's best fit. What's nice and what has always been nice, regardless of contract uh, talks, is that the Cavs are in a spot where if they draft a playmaker at the wing or guard position, the ones that make the most sense and play the best basketball will be the ones who start and play the most minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, like, it, it's almost like as much as people want to complicate it by talking about contracts, extensions, etc., really for next season it's pretty easy actually just play the people who make the most sense and make your team the best. Yeah. I I mean, it should still be a situation where they have to go out there and earn it. Like, I don't think it's difficult to find minutes for all these guys. And if you draft someone like Cade Cunningham, that could potentially kind of play that Tatum role at power forward. um, Maybe you have all four of them out there, right? Like um, I, I think people, they, they like to plan out the team building and what the rotation is going to look like so far in advance when we really need to look at how these guys improve and what combinations work, not only from elevating everybody's individual stats, but also elevating the, the lineup data. And um, you're correct. We'll get into kind of the, the sex and discussions that are going on next episode. Um, but I just want to go over the stats, the, the combinations of those three players. Uh, Sexland plus Okoro, you got a 105 O rating, 111 D rating, 
negative one negative 6.1 net rating good lord uh that same combination with no garland you got a negative 13.1 net rating um, sounds right garland and okoro with no sexton a minus 5.2 and a sex land without okoro has a minus 15.5 that also sounds right yeah and oddly enough no okoro really tanks the offense as well as the defense uh you, you got two-way impact there uh, the the only one where uh, the the offense is or sorry the defense is better than one ten is Garland and Okoro with no Sexton which yeah the, the best combination of the three uh, when you're talking about balancing offense and defense has been all three of them this year right like it's you you can look at the other combinations wing whether it be Jetty Osmond Torian Prince or whatnot but the three young players together has been their best lineup. Yeah, and and that's why it's kind of easy as of now. It gets harder when you add a person, but again, it's meritocracy, it's culture, it's it's building towards something uh, where the best players and the best outcomes are what we what we're building towards. Mm-hmm. If they don't do that and they get in the way of that, then I think that's when grumbles are, should really start. But in terms of kind of the decisions this coaching staff has made so far, it, it's hard to gripe too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the the funny enough thing is the core four, the the young core um, with Love and Dean Wade, uh, or either or, uh, has a positive net rating on the year. You just add some spacing there. It's it's not a lot of minutes. I will say that the core four has only played eighty five minutes with Kevin Love this year, which is kind of frightening that <laughs> that's all that it's been. And Dean Wade, they've only played one sixteen minutes with him. Yeah, you had but- a hell of a game. Uh, but last it's night was Dean Wade. Oh my goodness! So I I was listening. He, si- he sidestepped his ass into a three point attempt, and it looked good. He didn't even make it. And I was like, damn, he's feeling himself right now. <laughs> he's he's a fluid athlete out there. Uh, he even had a, a touchdown pass. He's really taking the Kevin Love comparisons to heart. Uh, but I was listening back to our podcast. Uh, a couple real, of our real quick. Can I say this? I can't tell you how many times. Kevin will have a, if Kevin does have a bad game and mm-hmm. people are being critical on Twitter, I go, oh, he's pretty good. And then I was like, oh, well, some of those were Dean. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that that's, yeah, I can see the confusion. I can like, see I misremember. I, I just associate them as one person on the court. Often when I get surprised by a play, it's because it's the other one, not, not the one I was thinking of. Um, Man, you absolutely derailed me. But I was now I remember we I was listening back to some of our season preview uh, podcasts, kind of discussing when we were discussing what the goals should be for this season, what we were looking for. And we were talking about how nice it would be for someone we didn't expect to step up and become a rotation player. And and the guy we identified was Dylan Windler. It'd be really great if he stepped up and became a rotation player. That player ended up being Dean Wade. Like Dean Wade is absolutely a guy that I you want to find minutes for moving forward. He he contributes on both ends of the floor. He's a good athlete. Um, I, I think the Cavs have done a really good job of kind of finding some diamonds in the rough, whether it be Dean Wade, can, Lamar. Can I Stevens. ask you this though? Yeah. Do do the Cavs if if Kevin Love is not on the roster, and I know we were going to talk about that soon. Mm-hmm. Do the Cavs have a starting four that they are should be happy with between Dean Wade or Larry Nance? Well, that's actually a great kind of pivot point because I would argue that the Cavs don't have a starting four on the roster, like period. Um, and, and that includes Kevin Love. I don't think, I, I think Larry Nance Jr., you, you look at the impact stats, he's been the most impactful player this season. Um, but I think his ideal role is that first big off the bench where you're keeping him healthy, you're limiting the wear and tear, you're allowing him to play with juice all the time rather than wearing him down. And I, I think right now with Kevin Love, obviously the play hasn't been good. Uh, he missed the majority of the season. He hasn't been right physically. But at this point, like availability is important. It's really, really, really important. And when you're forecasting for the future, I I just have a hard time penciling in Kevin Love as the starting power forward when you don't know how many games he's going to be available for, and you don't know how many of those games he's going to be performing at the level of a starter. Yeah, um, it, it, it's tough, man. Uh, I I do think Larry 
has shown a little more than people are crediting. The Cavs mm-hmm. were very, very competent early in the season with him as their starting four. That's true. And, you know, I think that, I think Larry more than anyone else on this team, and I think I'm guilty of this too, when he's going through a rough stretch or he's banged up, I forget how effing good he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's there's a reason he was getting calls from content. The Cavs were getting calls from contenders at the deadline for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I think that there is a perception, especially among the more negative Cavs fans and in, in the fan base, that he is you know something of a like a you know if his dad wouldn't you know if his dad wasn't who he was then you know no one would even care. But and I'm like I just don't think that's true. You know, like. Like you, you that, that sounds about, like a Browns fan take. <laughs> well, it is a total Browns fan thing, but like, so like, and I, but even me, I think I, I think I'm guilty of it. Like he had a really, even after he came back from injury, he wasn't himself. And I was like, so I kind of just slotted on oh, that's Larry. Like whatever Larry is right now is what he is in my brain forever for some reason. Mm. But then I kind of forget like when he's fully healthy and right, he's like, probably the most impactful player on the team by a lot of the, the catch-all metrics. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, it is just, it's just, he's hard to figure out, I guess is my point. I think the fact that he had such a snake bitten year is kind of coloring the discourse on that front. But mm-hmm. I think we should have a Kevin Love discussion uh, because this is typically, we're pretty damn well aligned on this team. And this one, we are not aligned. <laughs> Yep. And I would like to kind of hear your case uh, for what you think the Cavs should do with Kevin Love and kind of what you think the next step should be. So I I think that what the team should do is explore all options. I, I think you, you need to have a sit down with Kevin, figure out kind of where the priorities are, because one of the biggest issues with this season has been the lack of continuity. There, some of that is injuries and, and just how weird this season is. But moving forward, if you want to develop chemistry and if you want to become a consistently good on good team on both the ends of the floor, you need to have reliable guys in the rotation. You need to have you need to know what your identity is. And having a big question mark in, in Kevin Love, where two of the last three seasons he wasn't available to start the year and missed at least half of the season. Um, that becomes difficult. And I'm not necessarily advocating for buyout, trade, whatever option you want to look at, but I, I think you need to explore every single option. You need to figure out what level of buy-in you're getting from Kevin Love because at this point, the torch needs to be passed. He's no longer the, the best player on this team. And if he's willing to take the Carmelo Anthony route of kind of aging gracefully, uh, it doesn't matter if I'm coming off the bench. It, it doesn't matter what the role is. I'm just going to try to contribute what I can. There's a value to that. You can acknowledge the role that he has played off the court, the, the way that he has helped uh, the young kids uh, prosper and become better players. But at the same time, you also have to factor in, is he going to be here? If he gets hurt, how is he going to respond to that? Is he going to have an interview with Chris Haynes where he's saying, yeah, I'd love to play in Portland, but I understand I need to be healthy and I need to play better before I could be traded there. Like that kind of conversation, it just, as much as I appreciate what Kevin Love has brought to the organization, it's tough to listen to that as a fan. And I have to imagine it's tough to listen to as a teammate. Uh, Justin, I'm going to request you say it with your chest here. Do you think the team needs to move off of Kevin Love? I, I think if there's an option to, yeah, like it, it, I, I don't think it's one of those situations where blindly at, at all costs, I, I'm not doing a sports radio take here where, yeah, it, it doesn't matter if you throw a million picks away or whatnot. No, 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 no. But I, 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 I do don't think, think any of us wants to. I think I don't think we're stupid enough for either of us are stupid enough to want to part with assets to get rid of Kevin Love. Right. But I do think every avenue should be explored to give both him and the team a fresh start, a, a blank slate. I, and maybe, I, I mean, buyout is so damn tough. Like, that is not an easy pill to swallow because that salary is still on the books for the next couple of years. That That's a really tough position to be in. But maybe there, there's a situation where a team has a couple players where they're not as thrilled um, paying them, but it's multiple contracts that might be easier for the Cavs to part ways with 
over the next two seasons while still getting some help and getting some rotation players back. That might be something that is available to them. I, I don't know what's available to them, so I can't act like I know what solution they should take. But I, I do think that it should be a priority. I, I think getting that fresh start and getting a little more stability in the rotation should be a priority because I, I mentioned it before. I listened to our start of the season podcast. And what I said was, I want to see Garland be a 17 and six guy that kind of shows a star, flash of star upside. He was that. We said that we want to see Colin Sexton average that kind of 23, three and a half assists that he did after the Jordan Clarkson trade, because uh, then you get a better idea of whether or not he'd be worth an extension. He did that. The third part, the, the third most important thing that we said was by training camp of next season, we need to know what the identity of this team is. This is the, kind of the defining offseason for Kobe Altman. And I, I think figuring out what you're doing with Kevin Love and whether or not he's a part of the next two years is the biggest question that you have. A whole lot's going to be determined by the draft lottery. Ping pong balls, we'll figure that out. But when it comes to future planning, what you do with Kevin Love is absolutely the biggest question. So exploring every single avenue and every single option, whether it be him staying with the team and accepting a different role than he might be accustomed to, um, that's an option, whether it's trade, whether it's buyout, whether it's a stretch, everything has to be examined, in my opinion. You think a stretch has to be examined? Well, I, I'm saying you examine all options. I would, I'm team never stretch. That, that's me. I'm just listing every option I can think of. I, uh, that's that's like an important say, clarification. That's an important clarification. I would just like to say that I think if we were in the DMs, you'd have harder takes than this. I think you're being too nuanced. I, don't, I think you're speaking with your mind and not with your chest. And I, I'm fine with it. But I just mm -hmm. want to note it that... I think you're ready to be done with this relationship based on everything you've kind of given. I am. Uh, I am. But I, I'm not going to take that to a reckless conclusion. I'm, I'm not no, going to no. give up assets to, to be done. But yeah, I, I would I'd like to see him in a situation where he's happier. I'd like to have the team have a, a bit of a fresh start and to examine more permanent options at that position. Can, because... can, can I simplify the discussion? Yeah, go ahead. Should, should the Cavs buy out Kevin Love if, if he is amenable? I, I think it's an option that they, they could do, yes. I, I think you explore trade as hard as possible. I think you try to avoid a buyout as hard, uh, like, as much as you can. I think you try to avoid a buyout being the, the end of the Kevin Love era in Cleveland. But, yeah, I, I, it wouldn't be something that I would be upset about. See, it's funny because to me, I am just, you know, you mentioned him, like, playing a different, you know, accepting a different role. I feel like I feel like he has accepted the role. Like, he's not... Like, I mean, like the usage is not crazy high. I don't watch him. Uh, it's not like I'm seeing them feeding him over and over and over and over again on the offensive end where I'm like, man, can Darius get some reps here? Like, that's not the vibe I get. I feel like really he functions as a spacer and a play connector. Mm -hmm. But but is he and, going to be fine coming off the bench if he's no longer the best option there? See, that's that's, I guess, the question. I that, still think he is the best option. I think I think that it's I think it's overkill to be to bench him especially with you know now like let's say they draft evan mobley then mm -hmm. i'm sorry kevin you're gonna have to come off the bench right um but you know like i don't think dean wade is i as much as as much as i've been impressed by wade i don't think that his institutional value is as strong as kevin loves on the offensive end of the ball mm -hmm. i don't think that i think larry is best served as a bench player like i think that's where his value is most uh, you know it most obvious so i don't feel the need to bench him and as a result i'm like the role i'm asking him to play is the role he's already playing and then i go to the the kind of the intangible argument i mean you've posted them yourself the numbers of the Cavs' core uh when healthy since love's return and sure it's not directly attributable i don't think like like Kevin Love is not the difference between Isaac Okoro shooting like 40% and 60%, right? There's some right. noise there. But when I see I see this team, I see just a, a real dearth of decision-making and basketball IQ and experience. Mm -hmm. And even though he is not, you know, he is not by any means like, like the numbers haven't been good for him. Like his, his jumper has not been as good as you'd hope. 
He's not drawing fouls as well as he used to. You know, like everything's down. He's not he's not himself this year at all. But instant you know, we, we talked about the offense lack in seasoning. He's a little bit of paprika. He you is. know, he, he, he adds even he when makes, he's missing. Even when he's yeah, missing. He makes the team much more watchable and I think he demonstrates good habits. You know, in a way, and this this is probably an insulting comparison to Kevin, who is you know an offensive savant. But you know, even w- when Delhi was came back, and it was like, oh, there's someone who can run an offense. And I feel like when you model that for for the young players in the team, they start kicking into their own rhythm. Mm-hmm. I feel like Kevin Love is a super duper charged version of that. And I'm I'm going as to... a result, like I I just can't I just like. Sure. Like if a, if a trade comes through and they get, you know, a player worth caring about, sure. You know, I don't think I'm going to be throwing a fit, but I'm certainly not interested in, in paying him not to play here. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't stretch it. Um, I think the ideal solution is a trade. Um, and... I think we all know that. I think Kevin knows that. But like right now, that's not happening. I'm I'm going to be a little even I'm going to be a little less respectful than you were with the Delhi comp and the comparison I'm going to draw is Spencer Hawes. I think Spencer Hawes provided a proof of concept in that last year before uh LeBron returned where That is less respectful. <laughs> where you just had spacing. For the first time you didn't have Andy and TT starting together alongside like Alonzo G and Dion or CJ Miles and that spacing opened up something it provided Don't a proof of concept disrespect cj miles like I, I i love cj miles <laughs> i i still have love for cj miles but i'm saying it gave you a proof of concept of what Kyrie would look like with a little more spacing and i think that that's what we're seeing in april with kevin love returning to the lineup because he's not shooting well and there's also the chicken and egg factor of how much has to do with kevin love's presence there and how much of it has to do with Darius Garland going from a 17 and 6 guy to a 21 and 7 guy. Like Darius Garland was taking the threes that he was passing up before, but that were there. Those shots were there with and without Kevin Love and I just think it's that proof of concept that yeah, you need a spacer there whether it's a big wing that you're playing with the young guys or whether it's another spacing uh four, uh whether it's Larry Nance taking more threes or or continuing the three-point shooting that we saw earlier in the season in Dean Wade. Like, I, I agree with you um, that Nance is probably best off as a bench player, but that doesn't mean he can't be a starter. Sure. I just would limit his minutes, right? Like, maybe you're keeping him at 26 minutes rather than 32. And, and I, I think that there there's but, ways around But, but hold, hold on, Justin. Let, let's, let, we have to keep this simple, though. If you buy out a Kevin Love, you are saying, I would rather have the minutes at power forward exclusively filled by Larry Nance, Dean Wade, and you know some mix of of wing players if you know, if you know health is a problem. Mm-hmm. I, I you, might are, I might I, prefer that. I might prefer. I'm just not. I just don't see it, man. I I can't get there. I can't I, I get might there. prefer it from a consistency and a continuity standpoint because if Kevin Love is in and out of the lineup, that could be the difference between you. Like maybe your floor is raised because you have a consistent lineup, you have a consistent rotation. Guys know what their roles are going to be. Whereas if he's playing half the season and he's in and out of the lineup every couple of weeks, that's going to throw things off. And we we've seen how much time this team needs to adjust to new pieces being in the mix. Um, I I just think that there is a value to that that continuity. I, like I, I think it gives everybody a better sense of where they stand, what their role should be. And yeah, maybe some guys aren't ready to fill in uh, that decision-making gap and, and make up for the loss of Kevin Love at the start of the season. But those reps can help them become those type of players that they can make smarter decisions. I, I would hope to hell that Darius Garland, Colin Sex and Isaac Okor, all these guys are better players entering next season and history would indicate, yeah, they are. So I, I for that reason, I would be open to a buyout. Like I, I, that's just where I stand on this. So, so I think it, it should be noted because I am taking the the harder tack here. If they bought him out, I would disagree. But I'm not going to throw a fit. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I think there is certainly. I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I think there's a case for it. I get it. I just don't see. I just feel like the institutional value of him, despite the embarrassing incidents, because mm-hmm. like. That's kind of my concern here is like 
are we are we making decisions because we got embarrassed? You know, partly, partly like when you're talking like, about did this team achieve their goals of kind of establishing a culture, establishing the accountability that you want. Part of that is like that has to factor into the discussion because I don't think it's necessarily going to get better. Like that's that's not the way that father time works. Yeah, I mean, I think that I don't think that we're ever going to have perfect citizen Kevin, you know, like, I mean, he's always going to have like, but he would, I mean, we had moments like this when they were winning championships. So, you know, right. like it's, it's hard to know. I think ultimately there, it, you know, when we're, when we, up, oh, did, did we lose me? Yeah. Your, your internet uh, got a little fuzzy there. Yeah. Well, start actually, your takeover. actually fun fact. I kicked the cord connected to uh, my sound mixer. So look at you what, go. That's what that was. Um, but, uh, you know, you know, we, I think it is kind of time. I think that we've kind of said all there is to say about Kevin and now it's kind of time to say like, let's, are they building the culture that they, they need to be building? And it's really hard to know because a lot of things keep going wrong. There are things that are, you know, very clearly, like if you want to list them, there are things going wrong, but I think all of them are ex explainable. And part of me just wonders, maybe none of it really matters and <laughs> if they just, get lucky in the right way get the right piece they'll just start winning games you know like, i mean that's that's nba history right like that like you can talk about wanting to establish a culture and have accountability and all those things it like you need winning has to be part of that like it, it doesn't happen no team has a great healthy culture because like i'd be oh, freaked by the out. way i, I actually would be... had a great i had a great example of this that just okay. popped into my head while i was driving the other day everyone outside of the Cavaliers community is roasting the Anderson Varejao signing. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, ah, oh, ha, 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 ha. But no one bats an eye at the Miami Heat employing Udonis Haslam, giving him a <laughs> roster spot every year. Except for our friend, Nikias Duncan, who Except has been losing dear, his damn mind. Dear friend, Nikias Duncan, who understands how insane that is. But because Heat culture, because... Pat Riley, because they're winning, no one cares. No one mm -hmm. cares that they have a ceremonial roster spot for a vet. It's not the Cavs' fault that they got so banged up that they had to play their ceremonial signing. Right. It's not It's not even a, a roster spot. Like, it's not like they cut Damian Dotson. It's a 10-day. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't... So, it, like... So a like hardship all, exception at that. Yeah, yeah. So, so like, winning, like, is is the panacea here. So, like... You know, when we talk about should, you know they they gotta they gotta cut, they gotta buy out Kevin Love so they can start building the right culture. I just don't know if I'm there because it's like mm -hmm. he was part of a pretty freaking good culture that won title that won a title. You know, went to four straight finals. He, so he I just I don't know, man. I, I just when I see them on the court and he's on the floor, they seem to understand basketball better. They do at least on the offensive end, and like maybe. And, and and really for all the numbers for all the arguments i'm really boiling it all it all really boils down to that for me which is i think kevin love helps this team uh take like develop into what they're going to be even if he's not going to be there when it when it happens here's the comparison i'd make though so when we were talking in the off season it was okay tristan's gone that has been kind of the bedrock of culture he's been great in the locker room uh he obviously was a massive part of the championship and at the time there was no extension found with andre drummond and it was hey with tristan gone and drummond likely leaving the team at some point here you're going to be left with no real centers like it's javel mcgee and like who knows maybe dean wade has to play some minutes there or kevin or larry has to play minutes there and without cap space you got jared allen and you got uh, Hardenstein um, in the mix. Yes, having Kevin Love makes a difference, but I just don't know how irreplaceable the. Oh, I don't think he he's irreplaceable is. at yeah. all. To be very, very clear, and if the roster circumstances change, I mean, let's say they draft Cade, mm -hmm. and Cade adds enough playmaking injection to to what they're doing that just a, a more of a pure shooter like Dean Wade that maybe gives you a little bit more on the defensive end, but isn't quite the, you know, savant that Kevin is. Mm -hmm. Maybe the scales tip at that point. I just don't think we're there yet. And until I see the roster that makes it make sense to, you know, the option that makes it make sense to me, mm -hmm. I just would rather have Kevin Love on the team. 
I don't want to pay him to go away. Yeah, and, and this might be a decision you make at next year's trade deadline. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that this is something that has to be rushed, that they have to part ways. I'm just saying that I would aggressively explore every option this summer. Like, that, that's just where I stand. And circling back to kind of the culture talk and, and you wondering if any of this matters, like, I think if you're assigning a pass-fail grade to it, it's a fail. Like, they didn't accomplish their goals this year because their goals were to make the playing game that didn't occur and to kind of solidify a team identity and establish a culture of accountability. But the thing I would note is that, or the comparison that I would make is in December, I decided to lose weight. I wanted to get down from 225 to 195 by the time softball season comes around in the spring. I lost 20 pounds. But I didn't achieve my goal. If I'm talking about pass-fail, did I achieve my target weight? I failed. But that doesn't mean me eating healthier and losing some weight wasn't a worthwhile thing. The, the target was flex. still in mind. You still made some progress towards your goal. Yeah, I had a few days where I ate like crap. I was a little inebriated. I ordered uh, delivery, and I, I made some uh, mistakes. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't a worthwhile endeavor to try to lose weight and to set a target. I worked my way towards it, and I'm closer to my goal than I was at the start of the year. And I feel like that's the, the situation with the Cavs. For the majority of the year, this was a team that went from one of the worst defenses in history to an average one. You don't get that without buying, especially for a team this young. Uh, the offense, when they had their pieces, was good decent like it, it was passable it was near league average it, we, we talked about how it looked in april that was really nice to see yeah things didn't break your way there were explainable circumstances but if you're assigning a pass fail grade to it it's a fail but i do feel like this is still a team that's trending in the right direction and the benchmarks we wanted to see the growth we wanted to see from the young players came to pass like that occurred this year and ultimately i think that's the most important thing when you're evaluating the season yeah, I mean, it's uh, are, are they closer? And I, I do want to dedicate more time. I know we're running long here uh, on the podcast. I want to, I want to kind of dedicate a, a significant chunk of a podcast to like let's really evaluate what this season was, what it meant, mm -hmm. where they succeeded, where they failed. Yeah. Um, oh, of course. But with that said, do I think they're closer to being a competent team? Because, uh, again, like we've said it over and over again, we just want competence. At mm -hmm. least I do. I, I, I got my ring. Um, Metaphorically, they did not give me a ring. <laughs> I got my ring. I just want, I've said several times, I'd love to be the Pacers. I'd love to be the Grit and Grind Grizzlies. Mm -hmm. and, and just be a team that is kind of scrappy and just, you know, exceeds the sum of their parts. Are they closer to that today than, I, than they were at the beginning of, of the year? I think so. Mm -hmm. So to that end, you know, I'm I'm not too down despite, you know, a pretty brutal end of the season, frankly. Yeah. And like, I'm just really encouraged by the young core. But at the same time, when I say they need to be aggressive in figuring out ways to accentuate that young core and to evaluate every single option with the vets, with the young players and and look to improve. The league is ridiculous right now. Carter, if the play-in didn't exist, here are some names of players that would miss the playoffs. Lowry, Van Vliet, Siakam, Beal, Westbrook, Levine, Vucevic, Sabonis, Turner, Levert, Brogdon, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Horford, Dort, Towns, Russell, Edwards, Fox, Heald, Halliburton, Zion, Lonzo, Ingram, Bledsoe, DeRozan, Murray, Morant, Bledsoe. Jackson, How dare you? And, and Valanchunas. Like, a lot of these teams have good promising cores. The worst teams in the league, pretty much, have, with like the exception of Houston and Detroit, have young, interesting cores. You need to find ways. Like right now, having two stars isn't enough. You have to have the supporting cast that accentuates them, that elevates them. And I, I think that that's got to be the goal for this team. Like they, they I mean, look find... at Toronto. All you got to know is look at Toronto. That team is is eight is ten games under five hundred, dude. Like it's well. Everyone calls, or not everyone, but a lot of people call the bubble the Mickey Mouse ring. I think this season, ref like the gap between reality and the results of this season 
is larger than any year. This is the true kind of asterisk season if you want to sign one because like Toronto was in the playoffs when they had everybody. Then they got wrecked with COVID. Boston's been wrecked uh, with injuries with COVID. Like every single team, like the teams at the top of the league are the healthiest. That's really what this season has come down to. And I, I just think that it's not a representative sample size for anybody, and Cavs included. Like, I, I think this is a team that's better than its record, and the benefit of that is they're likely going to be picking higher than they would have been if they were healthy all of this season, and that's fortunate, but you have to get those lucky breaks. You, you still have to get the lucky break in the lottery. And oh, come on! And, like, Ben recognizing that lucky break and capitalizing on it is going to be one of the most important things. I've got some takes for the draft. We got so much to discuss. I'm, I'm excited to be pivoting to some off season talk and, and evaluating the draft free agency, all everything that's coming up. I'm really excited for it. Hey, hey Justin, um, can I, can I real quick? Mm-hmm. I just, you know, while, while you were monologuing there, I just went ahead, ran a tankathon. It is written, my friend. Mm. Come You'll on. Come on. Let's um, go. I can't really read it on the screen. Okay, here we go. Okay, OKC falls only to fifth. So I'm of the... Oh, no, they fall to seven. Yeah, that's right. That 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 should be what happens. OKC deserves all the bad karma. They they should fall to seven, eight, wherever. I, I don't want to see that team do well. That, yeah, here's the thing with them, though, is like you, you've, got car, you've got bad karma clashing because you got Houston bad karma. Mm-hmm. Going up against OKC, bad karma because of the way the the Chris Paul deal worked out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in this scenario, OKC, yeah, they fall, but they also get Houston's pick. Gross. Anyways, I I'm still if oh man, let me tell you, I I just don't want to see them do well. I'm I'm going to be pretty crushed if they win the lottery over the Cavs or if they pick. Uh, higher unfortunately, than the Cavs. I kind of like them still. I yeah. don't like what they're doing, but I like their I like their guys. Yeah, well, I mean, they are Team Canada right now, so I'll, I'll give them a little bit of a nod. But overall, just not too happy with it. But you know what? There's so much to talk about. I'm, I, I could honestly, this podcast could go for three, four hours at this point. Like, I'm, I'm fired up. There's a whole lot to discuss. But you know what? We got a whole off season to talk about it. So we will be back on Thursday. We will be live streaming at 7 Eastern, uh, talking a little Colin Sexton, probably some more of this kind of extended culture talk. Uh, hope you guys are enjoying it. If you guys have any suggestions uh, for what we're talking about or talking points or things you want us to discuss, you can send that via email chasedownpod at gmail.com while you're there you can send us a screenshot of the review you left for this podcast because that's the best way to support us you can leave a rating leave a review subscribe unsubscribe resubscribe and help cook those books and send that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com if you want to have an invite to our exclusive discord chat if you're watching on youtube like and subscribe it's the best way to help us show up on those algorithms hope you guys are staying safe out there until next time go cats